Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. As a former broadcast journalist, I always seek out the full story. My journalistic instinct has served me well right throughout my career, and in particular right now as a public sector marketing consultant, coach, and trainer. There are three things that I lean into when I'm working with a client or training my students. The first question I ask is, what angle of the story is in the public interest? Who is the subject matter expert and where can we get to the source of the truth? And then thirdly, how do we disseminate the story to reach as many people as possible offline and online? So coming up in today's show, why I never abandoned the journalist in me, seven digital journalistic tactics that public sector marketing pros can employ. And I speak to Glenn Mulcahy of Titanium Media and the founder of MojoFest. He shares mobile journalism insights with us. So if you are curious about digital journalism tactics for public sector, stay tuned. In today's column, I'm sharing some insights into why I still hold on to my journalistic instinct and those skills that I learned 20 years ago. In fact, it is exactly two decades ago that I stepped into my very first journalism job. I worked as a broadcast journalist in Highland Radio in County Donegal, the northwest of Ireland. And luckily for me, it proved to be a very busy job. And also it gave me massive opportunity to not only broadcast to 68,000 people a day, but also nationally and internationally. You see, some of the stories that I worked on as a young journalist were breaking at national and international level. For example, the Bloody Sunday Inquiry, known as the Savile Tribunal, and also a public investigation into alleged wrongdoing by some members of the police force in the northwest of the country that was known as the Morris Tribunal. So I always had an appetite and a hunger to get to the story, to find the source of truth, but also then to communicate what was in the public interest to citizens. And that was my job. And if you fast forward 20 years, what am I doing now? I'm teaching public sector marketing professionals how to show up more than not online than offline, and how to embrace the digital age. 20 years ago, I was also publishing the news that I read on the station on our website. We didn't have social networks back then, but I saw the transitioning of communications and journalism and public relations change in the late 90s as social media was beginning to become mainstream and was growing in use. So when I'm working at my desk every day, here are some skills that I use that have served me well over two decades. Writing, being able to write copy that engages, and this has never been more crucial than right now as the battle for attention online is real. Doing my research, 
doing my research and getting to the source of the truth and making sure that that truth then is disseminated right across the internet, social and search, and then, of course, maybe in traditional media and marketing channels. And the other thing is really understanding what captivates an audience. And really what captivates an audience, you know, on air is something that will captivate an audience online. And that is great storytelling. Being able to get a hook, get an angle that emotionally engages with an individual. And so I think there's a lot that we can learn from the discipline of journalism that will serve us well in today's digital age. And for me, uh, as a seasoned digital marketer now, I always, always fall back into my journalistic instinct and my journalistic skills. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's consulting segment, I'm going to share with you seven digital journalism tactics that public sector marketing pros can leverage. So again, I'm going back to my journalism days, but also mixing it with best practice in the digital age. So number one of seven, this is the, the PR method of answering the five W's and the H. So what does that mean? It means answer the questions, who, what, where, when, why, and then how. Journalists will always go straight to the story with those questions. So you should be answering those questions when you are actually preparing content for your digital marketing. Number two, invest 80 cent of your euro in the headline. Now, this idea comes from Mr. Ogilvy, the uh, godfather of marketing. And he says that when you write a headline, you've spent 80 cent in your euro. So time is well spent investing and considering a headline. There's some great tools out there uh, from a digital point of view on how you can actually get a headline, get a score out of 100 and optimize it so that it gets more clicks. Because if you think about it, if somebody reads the headline, it doesn't really emotionally engage with them, then an actual fact, they may not click through and you want them to read the substance that is in the body of the article. And another tip here, the headline is the promise, the article is the value, and make sure they align. Number three then, hold the attention of the public with multimedia. It's not good enough anymore simply to write text or to have a graphic. People do want to have long form content, but they also want to engage in video, animation, audiograms, short soundbite clips, graphics, carousels, even live streams. So really think about the multimedia aspect of your content. Number four, show, don't tell. This is really important when it comes from public sector communications, because once the public feel that you're telling them what to do, then you're going to get their back up. I mean, there's been very many instances of poor COVID-19 communications where the public have felt that they were being dictated to. You've got to go in with a softer approach. And the softer approach is show, 
don't tell. So how do you show them? Well, you actually show them by engaging in storytelling that demonstrates the reasons for your decision, your legislation, your public health guidelines. And that story should appeal to them because they should see themselves or their own life situation in the story. So use other people, use the citizens as part of the story and not just yourselves. Number five is leverage trusted sources. What do the media do? The media go to a trusted source, they interview them, they ask them the tough questions, and then they broadcast it to the public. You now can be your own journalist and media publisher, but you've got to leverage your subject matter experts and give them more airtime and more online time. Number six is timely and breaking news and information. That's what journalists do best. They bring us the stories on time, every time, and they're there to break stories and also to update us on developing angles within particular stories. The public now expect that from their public services and their government also be the first to tell them. And in fact, very often, I would say, tell them before the media does. And then finally, look at the data. Analyze the data. What is the top content most searched on your website? What are the social media posts that get most engagement? What are people talking about online? You'll find that from your social listening. So we use the data to analyze how content is being consumed and where there might be information gaps and then iterate. So there you go, seven digital journalism tactics that public sector marketing pros should be leveraging. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. On today's show, I'm joined by Glenn Mulcahy, the founder of Titania Media and MojoFest. His company specializes in mobile journalism and social video storytelling. He's a former head of innovation at RTE, Ireland's national broadcaster, and he's inspired and driven the growth of mobile journalism within the broadcaster. He has trained in excess of over 7,000 journalists in Europe, the US, and the Middle East across television, radio, print, and online. And he specializes in mobile journalism. So in this interview, we gain some insights into what public sector marketing can learn from Mojo. Glenn, thank you so much for joining me on the Public Sector Marketing Show. Delighted to be with you, Joanne. Thanks for the invitation. Now, it's been a while since I stood on your Mojo Fest. I think it's about three or four years, but hey, things have changed dramatically in that time. First of all, what is your understanding or definition of Mojo? If you'd asked me that a few years ago, I probably would have said that, you know, the mobile journalism definition is probably its its core. But I think, honestly, because of the pandemic and everything as well, I think it's kind of become a little bit more generic as a term now. And it really is more about empowering people as storytellers in general. It's not in any way restricted to just journalism anymore. That's the one big evolutionary step over the last two years, I think. Um, and, and 
yeah, you know, it's, it's about empowering people, basically, as storytellers, using tools that they already have. That's it in a nutshell. And, you know, there was a day, and I used to be a journalist, right, where we had ultimate control of what went in and what went in the bin. Mm-hmm. Now everybody is a content creator and a publisher. And so content as a commodity is owned by those who are willing to create it. And you're in the business of teaching great storytelling. How would you define how, you know, media are operating from a storytelling point of view versus what public sector are doing? I think it's really interesting. You know, I mean, media to a certain extent, I suppose, are constrained in what they what what they can say and what they can't say. Like, you know, opinion is great, but at the end of the day, uh, journalism in particular is rooted in facts. And and in some ways, that's part of where the opportunity is, because often those facts render stories that are somewhat, you know, um, muted, let's say, and emotion is deliberately stripped out and, and bias is deliberately stripped out. So you often get this kind of center path, which serves the specific audience and the needs and requirements of journalism, but it really, really, in many ways, kind of, uh, it undermines, I guess, the, the real depth of storytelling that can be achieved. And I'm not saying all journalists do kind of plaid. Um, obviously, some are ext- extremely good storytellers, but I think that's the key difference between people who use storytelling for marketing and basically people who use it in, in a media or journalism sense. So, I mean, I, I've, particularly in the last two years, because of the shift to moving all my courses online, I've, I've worked with quite a few brands, which is a relatively new kind of market for me, because traditionally it's always been TV companies and radio stations and so on. And at the end of the day, the one thing that they all share is they want to be able to tell a great story and they want to make sure that they preserve the credibility of their brand and don't damage it basically by doing below par quality stuff. But also... They want to basically try and kind of trigger or solicit an emotion in the audience. And, and that's the essential skill, isn't it? It's like being able to get a message which is absolutely on point, but which triggers a kind of an emotional response in the audience, makes them do something, whether that is click or whether that is basically engage or whether that is book something or buy something. But at the end of the day, the story is what really resonates if you do it right. And yes, we are in this amazing golden age of the democratization of content creation, but that actually in many ways creates an awful lot of noise. Um, and, and that's the challenge. It's how do you get your core message through to your target audience with so many people basically jumping on the bandwagon, making, you know, content in varying degrees of engagement and professionalism. Everyone is trying these days, but um, I think in many ways, the best storytelling is like the cream of the crop. It rises to the top, it gets shared, it gets amplified organically before you even start putting money behind it to try and amplify it that way. And your experience with the shift to storytelling being online and effectively being created and consumed on mobile, what is the the hurdles and the challenges that those now creators and public sector marketing pros have to get over? Usually in my experience, it's they try and get over themselves but you, you coach people and teach people in this day in, day out. Well, did I read over 7,000 journalists you've trained across the world? Yeah, that's so, probably conservative for this day. Yeah. Remarkable. So, so how do you get somebody to get over themselves to tell the story to benefit the, the viewer? You know, it's uh, the, the first thing is, is that it's not as simple as a linear path. And, and I, I really, really think that I've put a lot of energy into this as a kind of an evolutionary step over the last 12 months, which is, you know, traditionally, I go into an organization and I might do a course which can be a day or it could be even a week long and people go on a journey during that course. You know, so we, we start as an absolute newbie usually. And by the end of that week, we've delivered specific skills that kind of empower them as storytellers. But an awful lot of the time, people kind of think that that's it. That's the fix. And suddenly everyone's going to be out there creating amazing stories. But actually, that's that's not the truth, I'm afraid. It belies the fact that storytelling is a journey and it evolves over time and it does involve practice. It does involve failure. 
and you need to accept the fact that you're going to you know mess up and that's part of the learning process but the next bit is the bit that people either fall short on or break into success territory and that is the kind of mentoring the encouraging the ability to respectfully critique people's work so that they have the opportunity to get better and giving them the space without undermining the credibility to basically make mistakes and learn from them and then move on and do more better stuff. Um, and that's the thing. It's, it's a bizarre thing about mobile. People think because everyone has one, it should be super easy. I often get, well, how easy is it to take photographs? You just press the white button and voila, you have a photograph. And it's like, yeah, that's one way of looking at it, but there is a bit more if you really want to deep dive. So I think that's the key thing. It's understanding that storytelling is not a linear path it's almost a cycle and you need to go through all those different stages to kind of improve. And the more you do it, and I say this all the time, practice really genuinely does make perfect. The more you do it, the more you experience it, it becomes muscle memory. You can start to switch off the button pushing part of it, which is the core, you know, technical skill side, and then really just start to use the tools that you're disposable to tell the best, most engaging story. Like some of the best storytellers I've, I've been fortunate to meet in my career. Scott Rensberger is one. I don't know if you met him at one of the conferences, Joanne, but he used to always say, like, the best stories that he's done in his career are stories that either trigger the mind, the heart, or the wallet of the person watching the story. It, it hits one of those three markers. And that's how you solicit response, something that resonates with someone, someone that makes them, you know, basically creates a call to action, makes them want to respond or engage in some way. That, that's where the key skill comes. And that really comes with practice. So you started your career in public sector in the National Broadcaster, or TE, how have things changed in terms of storytelling? You were journalistic storytelling. Now you're at the other side and getting brands to tell their own story. Has anything changed apart from the device and the democratization of the internet? Well, I think the format has changed a lot. I mean, one of the challenges I've often had, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a, a project with The Wheel at the moment, which works with NGOs and charities around the country. And on the last session I did with them, we were talking about quality and the idea of not damaging your brand. And one person, you know, rightfully challenged me and said, but surely there's authenticity in that raw native type video content that people just generate spontane spontaneously. And I kind of went, yes. But no, uh, you know, so sometimes you're going to have a quick win with, with a piece of content and it can go viral and everything else as well. But recreating that on a regular basis is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. And you get all these sales pitches on Instagram and everything showing you how to make your video go viral. Like, honestly, I think look plays a huge part and it's to do with timing and content as well. Um, but I think that's the key thing. Like a lot of the individuals I would traditionally trained are very much locked into this mindset of the definition of what a story looks like, whether that format is one minute, 30 widescreen, where there's an interview and there's a voiceover and, you know, there's a specific structure to that package. Whereas I think, you know, nowadays in the age of social media, particularly with the likes of TikTok and Instagram stories and all the other platforms that allow you to really kind of push the creative boundaries, you can kind of see this divergence in some ways between digital storytelling, as in mobile-led digital storytelling, if you like, and traditional mainstream media storytelling. They really do look very, very different, not just because one is widescreen and one is often vertical, but also just the way that the stories are being conveyed and, and also the time frame. So, you know, traditionally, I would be so used to journalists pushing back against one minute 30 to tell a, a news report. Now you're trying to get it across in 10 seconds. It's like it's mind blowing in some ways, but you can also see where it really focuses and fine tunes people's minds on what message can you deliver in those 10 seconds and how can you do it to the best of your possible ability. So it has most certainly changed and it's continuing to evolve. You know, as new platforms like um, YouTube Shorts comes on, people again are experimenting to see what works with the algorithm there, what's going to basically resonate. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really interesting time and it, it never sits still. 
it never sits still. There's constant change, whether that's algorithmic change or functionality change. It's always evolving. And the driver of all of this is this. It's the smartphone. That's it. Right? Everyone has one. Well, pretty much everyone has one. Yeah. I mean, there's allegedly more on the planet than there are people. So that's a pretty good indicator. And so the the device and the platform that is the, the smartphone, can we realistically create quality, authentic, engaging, emotionally connected content through the smartphone? Because we've spoken a lot about the story, we've spoken about format, but the device is as important, would you say? To a certain extent. I mean, I think, you know, to some degrees, I think it really, really depends on who is your target audience and, and where do they reside? Because, you know, like I've, I've worked with um, startups and NGOs, for instance, in Pakistan over the last year. And, and the devices that most of the journalists I would have worked with there are at best entry level. Like they really are, you know, within the bottom third, if you like, of the Android marketplace, functionality wise, storage camera and all that sort of stuff. But for them, it's all about getting a message out there, not necessarily getting a full quality 4K high singing, dancing message out there. Their infrastructure doesn't even necessarily support that level of production. So it is a case of horses for courses to a certain extent. But I suppose, you know, in Ireland and in, in the Western world, though I hate to use that term, um, we have expectations of quality that are definitely substantially higher. We have the infrastructure to support that. Now, to come back to the question, you 100% can create amazing quality content with this. But again, the key thing to understand is it's not just about the technology. Like just because you have a top of the range Android or iPhone does not mean that you're going to be able to create amazing stories. I mean, they technically may be fantastic, but if the narrative is not good, if you're not engaging on camera, if you're doing pieces to camera, for instance, this is one of the big fallings. Um, that, that that's where it falls down. It's not the technical part. It's more to do with the presentation and the actual storytelling skill itself. So like, this year, because, uh, well, 18 months, because of the transition to online and Zoom in particular, the amount of people that you can see who kind of fall and flatten their face because they're fine when they're in front of a room full of people and they can kind of engage and they can read the room and they can kind of respond to body language and nuance. You put them in a room where everyone's turned their cameras off on Zoom and it's really hard to solicit that kind of that feedback cycle that lets you really engage and kind of respond. Um, and that's one of the key things, you know, to a certain extent. Even though you might want to understand the technical skills, there's a level of performance in, 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 you know, appearing on camera. And I think an awful lot of people who are newbie YouTubers, again, a huge cohort of people I've trained over the last year want to be YouTubers. Young people all seem to aspire to this as a career now. Um, I say that sounding like a 50-year-old who's a very old person. But nonetheless, um, the bottom line is, is that, you know, there is a real skill in doing that, not just technically well, but doing it so that the person sitting at home is going to bear with you for this journey for 20 minutes or up to an hour in some cases. You have to find your tribe. You have to know exactly what it is that, that is your, your passion project. And then you have to find the people who are also interested in that niche because that's how it gathers. And that, in a nutshell, is what the real unique opportunity with mobile is. We have ubiquity of content creation. Now we have the opportunity to really start to hyper-focus in on niche markets and basically speak to people who very much are our target. It's, it's very different to all television um, marketing, if you like, in the sense that you, you show it to everybody in the hope that it sticks. This is like spearfishing. You're picking off the people using social media advertising and everything else as well who are 100% your target audience and making sure that your message is on brand to basically you know, engage with them and bring them into the actual equation. So are you saying then that storytelling that gets emotion format the device and presentation are all inextricably linked and you need all of those ingredients to actually perform 
long term to, to play the long term, long game. Yeah, 100%. And I think the other key thing that's probably missing in that equation is just strategy. So again, a lot of the people that I, I've done training with, they tend to have this strategy, which is a very, very fixed linear path. Again, like I say, it could be we're, we're going to do a two day course. And at the end of that, everyone's going to be out making amazing content. In principle, that is a great vision and it's a bloody great starting point. But the reality is, is that, like I say, it's an organic process that grows over time. So you really have to think like within 12 months, we've identified these kind of KPIs that we want to achieve, whether that's growth of our social media base or whether it's more engagement in the website or sales. But you need to measure it. You need to do a little bit of A-B testing to see what really is, is resonating with the audience, do a little bit more what works better. And it's constantly evolving and developing and fine tuning. If you're not going through that iterative process, then you're stagnating at the very start. And that that's not going to lead to success. So the key thing is seeing it as a long game, not just a, a two-day you know, quick fix and everything's going to be fantastic because it's not that. It really is an ongoing process. And so who are some of the players that have embraced Mojo that aren't necessarily in the business of media, but are actually, it's bearing fruit from, for them now? Do, there, do any stand out for you? I'm not going to name specific brands. I could, but I'm actually, what I'll say is a little bit more generically. I, I think in my experience, it's actually the smaller companies that I've worked with that are far more agile and lean and able to, one, be willing to challenge boundaries more effectively. In other words, they don't have this idea of um, a very rigid, structured environment to work in. They have an awful lot of freedom and they're also willing to wear it if they mess up and if there's a bit of blowback in something that they do, they're willing to push the boundaries. Generally speaking, my experience is the bigger the company, particularly in the case of brands, the more layers of bureaucracy you have to go through before you can basically get anything out through the pipeline. And that, that is, that's a single point of failure. Like people who are pushing themselves out of the comfort zone, trying something for the first time or maybe the second time, if they hit any sort of ba barriers to entry, if they have someone basically sitting on top of them going, no, we don't like this and you have to do it this way, and they're just going to kind of revert back to type and basically go back into their comfort zone. There's no impetus. There's no encouragement. There's no reason to step outside and try something new if you ultimately, <clears throat> excuse me, if you ultimately believe that it's it's not going to even make it to market, if you like. Um, so that's one of the things I would say that a lot of the smaller brands, like in the, in the last 12 months, partly for my sanity, if you will, because of lockdown and everything, Joanne, I've, I've turned my interest to outdoor activities and, and bushcraft and stuff to try and basically, you know, learn skills and continue to develop as a human. Um, but a lot of the brands that I see in that space are small two, three, four people brands making interesting products, put into market. And they are excellent. They are absolutely excellent because number one, they 100% know who their target audience is. Two, they're very, very good at basically soliciting um, in encouragement and engagement from that audience. So they will encourage them with competitions on a regular basis. There's constant hashtags going. People get their work reshared, reshared on bigger accounts. And it just creates this spiral of interactivity that builds brand loyalty. It works. I have seen it. I've... I've been lulled into it myself. I've bought products because I've seen key influencers that I respect buying specific products and reviewing them honestly, not paid promotions, just literally, this is why I bought this one over the other ones. And uh, it 100% it works. I found in particular over the last 12 months that, that Instagram for me has spoken to me a lot because the targeting and the algorithm seems to be very, very specific and very good. So I, in front of every three posts, whatever, I'm seeing an ad that is relevant to my interests. And okay, I'm not saying I'm buying something every three ads, but nonetheless, I am. I'm definitely engaging with a piece of content every single instance that I go on to Instagram. And maybe one in five of those are going to turn into a sale or a conversion in some way. And that's me as a consumer, not as a content creator. For me, the key to success in that, small brands, knowing their audience, 
willing to push the boundaries and willing to experiment with their storytelling. That's what makes it work. Yeah, and that can be applied across any sector, public or private. What about the content pipeline? It's the constant battle for marketers. You know, content is so time consuming. The person that I want to speak won't go front of camera. I can't get the information off them. I'm in marketing. They expect me to, you know, make a video out of nothing. Journalists then, on the other hand, they're working in the now. So they're basing their content on the breaking news day. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know that's okay for them. But how do you fill your content pipeline? What What's the approach that you suggest? Uh, you know, the, the thing is that there's so much diversity. If you start to look at all the different types of articles you can explore and all the different types of individual content that can be shared, there's lots of low-hanging fruit, which are like still images that are, you know, made up into memes, whether it is that you just do short little snappy videos that are, you know, maybe stacked to go viral because they're kind of funny because humor definitely works. Um Love it or hate it, the reality is, is that Lancet Instagram will also show you that that what all the big newspaper and magazine brands used to do is beauty sells. There's no question. In fact, the face filter phenomenon and the likes of Instagram is probably even making this even worse, but it is what it is. Um, but the key thing is, again, strategy. I mean, you know, if you try to do a scattergun approach where you're trying one of everything in the hope that something sticks, you're probably wasting an awful lot of energy. So I remember years and years and years ago when I did my train, the trainer training, it was 2005, 2006, the guy that trained us, his skill was very, very simple. He sort of said, look, you know, you can either try and reinvent the wheel or you can look at the companies that already have wheels and look at what is working for them and what's not working for them. And then decide if that, which ones of those pieces are the bits that you're going to develop for yourself. That's probably the first most sensible approach. Like if you're in a particular cohort, a particular market, have a look at other brands, your competitors, do a bit of market research. Look at what they're doing well, what speaks to you even, not just based on metrics, but what works for you. What do you look at and go, that's really good. I love the way that they did this. And then, you know, um, copying someone's work is a high form of flattery, as they say. This is a more eloquent way to say it, but I can't remember. But the bottom line is, you know, make it your own and experiment with the same type of storytelling to see if your specific audience responds as well as their audience. The click side of it, the flip side of it, if you like, is that it's not all as black and white and transparent as we would like. There are nefarious actors, obviously, in the social media world, which with a very small spend can potentially drive click views and links and everything else through the roof, all, you know, all artificially inflated. And that's where it's not really necessarily a level playing field. And this way you're hoping that people play ethically. But of course, there's no real way of measuring that. And that's the one thing to remember. So the reason I say that is some people can get very, very frustrated after putting a huge amount of energy into campaign and then seeing only a fraction of the engagement that they were hoping for when they look at the metrics and KPIs. Also take that with a small pinch of salt, because some of the numbers that you see in other accounts are most certainly inflated. You know, whether that is click farms, whether that is deliberate kind of uh, campaigns where people kind of work around each other's brands and share clicks back and forth. There's loads of these little kind of triangles, if you like, that basically work in different social media platforms with people cross sharing and promoting stuff deliberately to amplify it and play the algorithm. So it's a gradual process. There are definitely, and you offer them to be fair to you, Joanne, I've recommended you to several people over the last two years. Um, You offer courses basically on understanding how those algorithms work and basically how it's going to bring you know, the cream of the crop to the top of the pile when people search for keywords and so on. Um, but it, yeah, see it as an ongoing process. And like I say, you know, spend some of your time rather than just doing a scattergun of everything, focusing a little bit on what the competitors are doing, what you like about what they have offered and their approach. And, it, you know, sometimes when I go into a brand, particularly if they've contracted the training down to just a single day, before we actually do the course, I will exam- ask them to give me four or five examples of the type of content that they want to basically push out 
so that we can tailor the training specifically to deliver those. Because generic training is wonderful. It's a great taster for what all the different things you can do. But if there are specific types of content you want to create, you're far better from the get-go investing your energy and basically building the skills to be able to deliver that content on brand rather than just doing a bit of everything in the hope that something kind of resonates. How are people feeling about video in a, a COVID slash post-COVID world? We talk, talk about Zoom fatigue, about people not wanting to engage uh, with video, which is kind of blowing all their senses because they've had too much all day, every day. Do you think this is going to scupper the video is king strategy? What's your view? I, I, I certainly would say from my own experience this year that uh, since June, May, June, I think as people started to see the easing of restrictions across Europe, etc., there definitely has been a marked downturn in screen time and people booking online courses. I think part of that is people are kind of holding off to wait and see when they might be able to return to in-person training because it is definitely preferable. As a trainer, I would say sincerely. I find it far better, and, and I honestly believe the deliverables are better achieved basically when I get to, to talk directly to people, look over their shoulder, see what they're doing, and mentor them on a one-to-one -one as much as possible. Um, so that fatigue with being forced to be online for the last 18 months is definitely starting to show, and, and very visibly so. But at the same time, I, you know, you, if, if you have an iPhone, you have an app, an app that tracks your daily usage metrics and everything else across your platforms. You can choose to switch it off if you wish. But I do find it interesting to look at my own personal behavioral patterns. And I'm spending just as much time basically on social media now as I was at the height of the uh, pandemic. Um, the only thing that I'm not looking as much as is news, ironically. Um, and I think part of that is also a form of fatigue where and you just get the constant bombardment of daily figures and everything. After a while, your brain just starts to force it to shut down and kind of go, I'd like to look out the window and look at the birds for a while. Um, so, you know, there is that pivot. And I think to a certain extent, that's also the second direction that I've gone off in the last 12 months. They're trying to get out into the outdoors and do a little bit of switching off the mobile to focus a little bit on the real world. Um, but I think, I think it's going to stabilize. You know, I mean, if things go according to plan, in other words, in the sense that restrictions are completely eased and we move, as, as has been discussed recently, to this idea of people taking personal ownership for their own health and safety. And basically, you know, if, if you're happy to wear a mask, wear a mask, just use your brain. Um, then I think to a certain extent, we're going to start to properly return to some sense of normality within the next six months, I hope anyway. And I think things will stabilize. I think it's like a Dutch door, as they say. It swings both ways. So I think was right now, while the weather's great, people are really digitally disengaged because they just want to get outdoors and breathe fresh air. I think when winter comes and we're forced to be back around the fireside, I think our social media activity and our video viewing will return to normal or certainly pre-pandemic levels, I would expect. So let's talk about the apps and the software. Your, your app of choice in terms of mobile video creation, what is it? Ah, so this is a really interesting one. Again, if you'd asked me this when I was working in Orty, I would have immediately said apps like Filmic Pro because it's an amazing camera app that's been used to make feature films by Steven Soderbergh and, you know, like tons of stuff over the last six, seven years. Um, but I'm a bit more pragmatic about things now. To a certain extent, I'm kind of always asking, tell me where the content is going. What are you designing it for? What's the target market? Because... Sometimes you can invest 20 or 30 euros in an app and it might be a completely unnecessary purchase because one, it's too advanced for your team. It doesn't really deliver to your specific requirements and we're just used because it's popular for particular niches. So um, I use, I would say, for instance, for photography, and there's a huge plethora of different photography apps out there. I would say I use the stock camera on my iPhone 90% of the time. And I pivot away from that, for instance, for specific 
use cases. So if I want to do, if I'm hiking up the mountains and I want to do lovely long exposure shots of waterfalls and things, even though the native cap app can kind of do it, there are other apps that do it better. Spectre can be one in point, one of my favorite ones for that type of photography. And there's another camera app. It's literally only on the market six months, one called Reflex, which is phenomenal. I think it's just pivoted to a purchase one, but it was free up until a couple of weeks back um, and just gives you a lot of creative control if you have a real genuine passion and interest in photography. For video editing, you, you possibly know this anyway, but over the last 12 months, I've worked with, I've had a long-term relationship with Action since before the company was even founded, uh, but a company based out of Seattle called LumaTouch that make an editing app for iPhone. Um, and genuinely, before we ever engaged with each other on doing a training course together, I was using their app. It was the app that I was teaching to broadcasters everywhere I went because it's just such an amazingly powerful tool. Um, so that app is, is LumaFusion. It is a 30 euro straight up front purchase, but it's not a subscription. Just buy it and it's yours. And I would argue it's every bit as powerful as Final Cut Pro basically on your mobile device. It's an amazing tool. Yeah, it's an incredible. I mean, it's the one that RT use for all the mobile made stories that they do Uh, and BBC and Al Jazeera. And I could go on, but you get the gist. So, I mean, it really is. It's at that level. It's at the top of the top of the tier. Um, and and that that just gives you so much creative freedom. Like, and there's new stuff coming. I can't really speak to it yet, but there's new stuff coming in the next couple of months that's going to just blow the competition out of the water. I've been lucky to see what they've got planned. So I've been doing this project with them now for the last couple of months called the uh, LumaTouch Academy, running these short two-hour sessions on different aspects of mobile content production, all obviously with some type of emphasis on the app and what the app can bring to the party. Um, but covering a lot of the core essential skills. And I mean, these are, you know, online, readily accessible. You can do them from anywhere in the world, obviously. And they're very, very hyper-focused. So it might be a thing on presenting and, and interview skills. It might be a thing on the basics of editing. I do one on photography. Like, you know, there's different modules that you can do that can build up your portfolio of skills over a period of time as it suits you. And like, those are, I, I would even argue myself, those are very, very reasonably priced at just $50 per session. And so, I mean, you know, they've, they've, they've been doing really quite well. We've only launched in the last couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, I use so many apps. I mean, if I was to show you my phone and flick through the screens, you'd get a headache, I promise. I've I've spent, don't tell my wife now, but I've spent thousands on apps over the last 10 years. Like literally, Apple, really, they should just pay me a dividend. Um, And part of that is just knowing the marketplace as a trainer you kind of need to know all the different apps that are out there, not necessarily into a deep level, but to know what they can do, what differentiates them from the competitors, and then be able to make an informed recommendation to people on, on you know, if they have specific needs, what's going to work for those needs. Um, so I could spend the next hour just running off apps, but I won't do that. But if people want to hit me up, it's my Twitter account's on screen there. If you want to hit me up, I'll happily answer <laughs> via Twitter DM or publicly as, as required. Well, I can tell you my audience love a recommendation. They just want to go to tool that has been tried and tested, somebody that spent the money and spent the time. So it's brilliant that you recommend it. And actually, I might get you back into um, our own membership and to do a few sessions with our students. I'd love that because be I know in an interview style, we're only kind of tipping the iceberg, but you've, you've led us through all the aspects of great storytelling, uh, strategy, format, and then in the app. What is the next step that people should take? So if they're listening, if they're inspired, They're willing to do the long game because this is not the short game, right? This is the long game. And this is about um, doing it right and testing and finding your authentic voice. What should be their, their first step? 
I think the, the, the best piece of advice that um, a guy I used to work with many, many moons ago used to have this philosophy in life, which was like, know something about everything and then everything about some one thing, right? And to a certain extent, I've, I've adopted that as my kind of life's ambition. So I have, I have a, a very, very broad sense of lots of different topics related to mobile. But for me, there is a really simple plan, a kind of a process that I encourage people to go through in the training, and I've seen it bear fruit. So I know it works. Okay. So um, what I always recommend people to do is to start just with photography. If, if you're interested in mobile production, if you're itching to try and make all your videos and everything further down the line, but if you want them to stand out so that people will look at your work and really acknowledge it over all the other noise that they're basically seeing with the flick of the thumb on, on Instagram, for instance, then really understanding aesthetic and composition is one of the first key skills. Because if you can take a really evocative, provocative photograph, a single frame, then having 25 of those frames per second to make video becomes a bit of a breeze. Okay. So I always encourage people to basically try and get their photography game sorted first. And there's a discipline skill to that. There are loads of free resources. I mean, there are tons of free resources. We've literally in the last two days just wrapped up an international photography competition I was involved in. And I, I've done a couple of showreels. You see them on Twitter and on Instagram of the work that has been submitted. Even just watching one of those two minute videos, watching 50 or 60 photograph examples will make you realize that there's a real innate skill to taking a photograph. And it has got nothing to do with being able to launch the camera app and press the white button. It's got nothing to do with that. Um, so that's the first thing. If you want to take your first step on the kind of mobile content creator's journey, put some energy into photography and really perfect the art of composition. The next phase for me is always audio. There are two pillars for, for good visual storytelling. And even though social media an awful lot of people watch content with the sound turned off. There's still a cohort of people who value that sound. And I think it's a really, really powerful storytelling tool. So once you've got your photography game nailed, then start to experiment with audio. And this, to a certain extent, is the Wild West right now. Because not only do you have like the idea of traditional, uh, traditional radio type stories and reporting, but we have Clubhouse and we have Twitter spaces and all these new live chat platforms where if people have a niche and a market they want to explore, it's for the taking. These are new platforms that are offering monetization and amplification in, in just innately because they're new. And there's a real chance to carve a new, a new spot for yourself basically in those platforms. And it's all going to be around understanding audio and audio storytelling. If you have the two of those nailed, that's, that's when you start your video game. Once you understand how to do the composition of a great image and you can start to visualize things before you actually open the camera app, you're ready to start shooting really good video. And once you've done that, the final step in the whole cycle, and it is a cycle, is then learning how to edit that video content so that it becomes a really engaging, powerful narrative. And this is the thing, and, and I'm not saying this because LumaTouch have it as their motto. I say it because the truth about it is, is that when you start to edit your own pictures, it makes you innately aware of the shots that you missed, that you should have gotten. So the next time you pick up the camera, you're going to deliver a much better shoot. That makes a better edit and the cycle and spiral continues. And it's, it literally is that the more you do it, the better you get. Glenn, always a pleasure. We can we can never answer everything in the short time that we have, but um, it's been brilliant to have you. Thank you so much for for joining us on the Public Sector Marketing Show and keep inspiring the masses with Mojo. Uh, you really are a leader, and I'm not, you know I'm not just saying that. Uh, you know I I watch you and I've engaged with you, but you really are writing the handbook on this. You really are. You're you're writing it and doing it at the same time, and um, yeah, so. People can hit you up on Twitter. Um, what about your website? Yeah, so, uh, well, two main ones. The, the, 
the first one is the conference, which has been on hiatus for two years. But, you know, you've, you've been a speaker at it. And I'm very, very grateful to have had you share your wisdom at it. And Mojo Fest is due to return in 2022. It will be going to London. And for the first time in, well, now seven years, but the first time in five years of actual events, it will be free to attend. So I'm really hoping that we're going to, you know, bring bring the whole Mojo community back together after a two-year break. It should be a hell of an event. So I'm really looking forward to that. So that's Mojo Fest, M-O-J-O-F-E-S-T dot E-U. And that website is currently... It's blank because we're seven, eight, nine months away from the event, so I haven't even booked speakers yet, but it'll all start to light up around October, November. We'll start to see announcements announcements of speakers and workshops and everything else we'll be doing there. And then the, the training side of stuff is Titanium Media, titanium-media.com. And that's basically where I kind of post about the kind of different training activities. But I'm, I'm, I have to be honest with you, John, whatever about being a leader, and you're very kind with your words, um, I honestly think I neglect the website so much. Like most of my interactions and bookings come through social media. And that's actually probably where I'm, I'm omnipresent. So even though Twitter is still very much my go-to platform, more and more, particularly with the bushcraft stuff, I'm trying to kind of develop my skills on that side and, and use that as a chance to have content to share on, on social media. So I'm on Instagram as well. Just no B. There's a boxer in America that got the Glenn Moore for Twitter. So that's why I'm B. But anyway. Well, listen, always a pleasure and continued success. And um, I'm certainly going to be uh, checking out those short modules from LumaFusion for sure. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Ryan. I really, really appreciate the invitation and best luck. And I can do to help. Give me a shout. Thanks a million. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code socialmedia20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. It's just three weeks until the 2021 Public Sector Digital Marketing Summit. The agenda is now live on our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash 2021 summit. And we have a remarkable lineup. And if you want to master storytelling this year, then you've got to come along because all of the experts over the two days are going to share with you how they've used storytelling to engage audiences online. Similarly, with our subject matter experts on day two, through our workshops, they're going to show you how to use storytelling when you're trying to master social media. Interest is growing right across Ireland and beyond. So if you want to come along, take two days out of the day job to plan for 2022, please go ahead, have a look at the agenda and perhaps book a ticket. So for the past number of weeks, we've been working on a brand new resource for you guys. So I've written a new guide, Digital Marketing in the Public Sector, Out with the Old, In with the New, and how you can progress your career in government or public sector communications. And even if you're not working in communications, the skills of digital comms will stand to you if you want to go up the ladder. And very often when I'm working with potential students to our accredited courses, one of the big motivators is that they are looking to get a promotion or career progression inside that organization or in other organizations is front of mind. So you can go ahead and jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash digital marketing and pick up your free guide to digital marketing in the public sector and how to progress your career. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 27 
of the Public Sector Marketing Show. As always, I show up for you so that you can take the nuggets of advice that I share with you and that my guests share with you and apply them to your organization. Oftentimes, it's a great way to get motivated or to get new inspiration when maybe you're, you're just not feeling it. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the show with a public sector pro that you know. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel or on your favorite podcast platform. And I will see you on episode 28. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.